Hi, this is Chris Finch. I'm lead pastor of City Walk Church. I want to thank you so much for listening to this podcast. If you don't already know, the best way to stay connected with City Walk Church is with our app. Just go to your device's app store and search City Walk Church to find it. Whether you've been a longtime follower of Jesus or you're just investigating faith, our hope is that this message will help you take your next step in that journey. If you're in the area, we would love to have you come join us in person. For more information or to plan your visit, check us out at citywalkchurch.com or on social media at WeAreCityWalkCA. Morning. Morning, those of you that are watching online, we're glad to have you with us as well. You guys staying dry somewhat? Y'all in a good mood this morning? You're like, if you're a 49ers fan, you are. If you're a Chargers fan, you're not. Seriously, who turned the game off last night about halfway through and we're like, oh, that game's over. And then it wasn't until it wasn't over. Uh, well, my name's Chris. If, you, if we haven't had a chance to meet and I serve as one of the pastors here and uh, we're going to be diving into a, a new series in the book of Nehemiah here. Uh, and today's our first kind of message in that. But before we dive in, wanted to encourage you, whether this is your first time to City Walk or whether you've uh, been here for a while, and if you're looking for a way to get connected, this might be the best Sunday to ever be at church. You're like, come on, Chris. Uh, here's why. Today is when we start our kind of winter term for our city groups. And we have eight city groups. It's actually the most that we've ever had. And uh, they meet on different nights. There's some for different age groups. And uh, you can actually go right to our website, click on next steps, and you can see all the city groups. You can find out what nights they meet and kind of if there's an age group that uh, that each of them is for. And uh, you can dive in. And I I tell people this all the time, if you only have one hour a week to give to church, don't come on Sunday morning, go to your city group, because it's that important, and I feel like it's that vital. And so I would encourage you to dive in and and be a part of a city group uh, if uh, if you're not, and you can go online and find out more about that. Uh, I'm actually going to skip, this seems a little far over, let me go over here a little, They, they usually dummy proof this and put tape on the stage for me. And so I, I, sometimes I mess that up even. Uh, but th- as we get kind of kicking off in the year, and you probably have experienced this, uh, over the last maybe week or so, uh, you, after the holidays, just like kind of our family, kind of getting back into like normal life. And, and so kids have kind of gone back to school and uh, then you're you kind of getting back to the office or back to your work. And, and my daughter, Kate, uh, who some of you know, she's nine years old. Uh, She's homeschooled, and she is a part of a homeschool co-op in Natomas on Tuesdays. And so this past Tuesday was her very first kind of week back in the new year. And uh, one of the classes that she's taking is she's taking a a theater class. And so this week, they were going to be trying out for the spring play. And and so we were like, okay, hey, Kate, you want to be a part of the spring play They've given you some lines that you can look over and kind of be ready to read and and maybe memorize so you can try out for the play. And and here's what I'm talking like two sentences. We're not talking like a lot. And so we said to Kate, hey, Kate, like last Friday, hey, Kate, why don't you kind of start reading over these lines? And and if you want some help, we'd be glad to help you. And and you would have thought 
that we told our daughter to walk on hot coals while she watched her dog die. I mean, that seriously. In fact, she might have liked that better than... Uh, it was drama to the, like, we haven't seen this kind of drama in our house for a long time drama. She was so, like, you know, when they cry and they can barely breathe, and you think, did, did something absolutely awful happen? And she's like, no, I just don't want to read lines. And, and, she, and I, I, in the midst of all this, and, and you veteran parents, you know this, there's certain times, like, you could say that, hey, Jesus is right here and he wants to take you to get ice cream and then he's going to give you a hundred bucks after you're done and they would still cry. There's just moments you can't, you could say anything and it wouldn't matter. And Kate was in one of those moments where she was over the top about reading these lines. And so I, I sat down with her when she had like calmed down briefly and I said to Kate, hey, Kate, you realize that if you like want your life to like matter and be fun and make an impact, it's going to mean you have to do some things that are uncomfortable sometimes. And, and I just trying to, in a nine-year-old version, trying to explain to her that, hey, Kate, I know this really hard, this reading two lines thing, but, but in order to like do some things that you want to do and, and, and make an impact in your life. You sometimes have to do things that are hard. And if you're a parent or if you're a big brother or if you're a coach, you've said that a million times probably. You've said that to your athletes. You've said that to, to people in your family. And you know that as well. Like, as, as I'm saying this to Kate, I know what I'm telling her is true and it's right but even if you've said that to people and as you, you knew it was true and you were trying to coach somebody up that was going through a hard time, even when we say it, we also know that there are times in our life that we face challenges, that we face obstacles, that we face moments that push us out of our comfort zone. And even as adults who know the answer and who preach it to our kids or our, our nephews or our, the athletes on our team, even, that, even when we know the truth, when we face challenging situations, if we're not careful, we can train ourselves to avoid and move past what's uncomfortable. Even when we know we're not supposed to do that, even when we know on the other side of hard or uncomfortable is probably something really good, even when we know that mentally, when we come up against a challenge, there's something inside of us that, that at least whispers a voice, hey, you could avoid this, you could move past this, you could, it doesn't have to be hard, you don't have to go through it. And we've all felt that. You may say, hey, I'm going through something like that right now. And it's, and it's in those moments that we're faced with things that are uncomfortable or hard obstacles that we have to make a decision. And, and, and we know this, even if you're not a follower of Jesus, you, you understand this, that we miss out on, on some of what God has for us on his best when we have that attitude. When we avoid anything that's hard, when we see a challenge and run from it, we, we know that, man, that is going to make us miss things that God has for us. And when we miss things that God has for us, it also affects those that we love dearly and that are part of our family. You may have somebody like that in your life. 
That that because somebody in your life that has influence never was willing to face hard things and move through obstacles, and they always avoided it or pushed it under the carpet, it's affected your life. And we have an opportunity almost in every day to, to move towards obstacles, even when there's something inside of us saying, avoid it, don't do it, run past it. And there's a guy in the scripture, and we're going to talk about him. His name is Nehemiah. And this guy, Nehemiah, that we're going to talk about over the next few weeks, you you may have heard of him, you may not have. He's in the Old Testament. And he's a guy that faced a situation that was extremely uncomfortable and even heartbreaking. And, And he didn't have to step into it. He could have avoided it, and nobody would have cared. Nobody would have gotten on to him. But instead of avoiding it, instead of moving past it, instead of pretending it wasn't there, this guy, Nehemiah, he stepped into something. He stepped into something. He leaned into what was hard. He leaned into what was heartbreaking, and he made a big difference. And we're going to learn about that. And his story starts in in Nehemiah chapter 1. And it starts with a conversation that he had with his brother. His brother was living kind of where they grew up. And his brother had taken a a pretty long trip to come and see him. And the, the, the book of Nehemiah starts with that conversation. It says this in Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 1. It says this, During the month of Chislev, in the 20th year, when I was in the fortress city of Susa, so, so in, the, in the month of, of Chislev, which is basically uh, November, December, Nehemiah, he is serving in a, a palace. He's, he's got a really influential kind of inner circle role with the king. The king that he's serving has reigned for about 20 years. His name is Artaxerxes. And Nehemiah is about 700 miles, and you'll, you'll see here in a second, I'll show you. But he's about 700 miles from where he grew up, and he's serving in the winter palace of a king. And he's serving as a cupbearer. And basically what a cupbearer is, is someone who makes sure that nothing harmful gets to the king. Nothing in his food, nothing in his drink. You're kind of the person that tastes it and makes sure that everything is okay for the king. And so Nehemiah is kind of in the inner circle of this most powerful man in the nation. And so he's kind of hanging out there. Life is good. I mean, he's in a palace His job is to taste all the great food that the king gets. And it says this, and Glenn read this a little earlier. Hanani, one of my brothers, arrived with men from Judah, and I questioned them about Jerusalem and the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile. And so his brother has come, just like I said, he's come from about 700 miles. I think we have a map that you'll see. Uh, So this is Susa, this is where Nehemiah is, and this is where his brothers come from. And so on the map, it doesn't look that far, but it's like 700 miles. And it's not, obviously back then they didn't have planes and they didn't have vehicles, so 700 miles, if you were to get in a car and go 700 miles, that's kind of a big trip. But man, if you don't have a car, you don't have a plane, we're talking a very long trip and so his brother gets there, and, and, his, and as he's talking to his brother, 
he asked about two things. He asked his brother, hey, buddy, how is the city? How is Jerusalem? And then he says, hey, how is the the Jewish remnant? How are the Jewish people that are there in the city? And, And so you think, man, all right, Nehemiah, you haven't seen your brother for a long time. And the very first thing you say is, how's the city? What's going on with the the other people? I mean, that's the first thing he's concerned about. And in order to really understand why Nehemiah is so concerned about the city and about these Jewish people that live there, you have to understand a little bit of the history of Israel. And so let, let me just walk you through real quickly some of the history, and you'll understand why what Nehemiah's brother is about to tell him has so much weight. So in 2000 BC, which is a really long time ago, about 4,000-ish years ago, God makes a covenant with a guy by the name of Abraham. And so whether you grew up in church or not, you've heard of this guy Abraham. God comes to this guy Abraham and says, hey, buddy, I'm going to create a nation out of you, your kids. There's going to be a huge nation, and I'm actually going to give you guys a special land. I'm going to provide that for you. And so in 2000 BC, God comes to this guy, Abraham, and and gives him this message. And he tells Abraham, he says, Abraham, I love and have good for you. Trust and obey me. That was kind of his message. Hey, I'm going to do some really great things through your kids and through generations. But I need you to, I, I need you to know that I love you and I have good for you. And I just want you to trust and obey me. About, about 600 years later, 1400 BC, this nation that was basically Abraham's kids is now the nation of Israel. And in 1400 BC is when they actually entered the land that God had promised to them. So remember Abraham, hey, I'm going to make a nation out of your kids and I'm going to give you the special land just for your nation. And in 1400 BC, the Israelites After being slaves in Egypt, they move into the promised land. And God's message to them was the same as his message to Abraham. I love and have good for you. Trust and obey me. Fast forward to 1000 BC. This guy by the name of David, who you've heard of. Whether you grew up in church yet, you heard of the guy that killed Goliath. Well, this guy who killed Goliath is actually becomes king in Israel. He becomes one of the the greatest, probably the greatest king that this nation that God promised to give Abraham, this nation has ever had, this David, this King David. And and God's message to, to his guy, David, is, hey, David, I love you. I have good for you. Trust and obey me. About 80 years later, David's off the scene. The kingdom of Israel has had other kings, and these kings have basically said, hey, we're not a big fan of God, and we're not a big fan of doing things God's way. And so what God did is he allowed the the nation of Israel to actually be divided. And the nation of Israel was divided. There were 10 tribes that kind of made up the northern kingdom, and then there were two that made up the southern kingdom. 
And God's message to the divided, even though they hadn't followed him, even though they had basically said, hey, we're going to go our own way, even as a divided kingdom, God's message to them was this, I love and have good for you. Trust and obey me. They didn't, they didn't do that. And after a while, God said, and, and over this, what had now been about a thousand years since Abraham, a little over a thousand years, Israel had obeyed God a little bit, and then they disobeyed God. And they obeyed him a little bit, then they disobeyed him. And this has been literally the last thousand years. And all along, God's been saying, hey, I love and I have good for you. Will you just trust and obey me? And they hadn't. And over that thousand years, God had sent messenger after messenger after messenger, known as prophets, to remind the nation of what God had said about God's promises. And yet, year after year after year would pass, and Israel continued to choose not to believe God and instead go their own way. See, they believed the lies that people have been believing since the beginning of time, that people still believe, and that you and I are tempted to believe even today. And, and here's what they were believing. They were believing that, you know what? God's promises aren't true. Yeah, I, I know what God said, but I, I'm not sure about that. I, I'm not sure if what God said is true. The, the second thing is, you know what? God is not good. I know he plays this part of a good God, but I, honestly, down deep, I'm not sure if this God, if, if, he, if he's really as good as he says he is, I don't know if he's good. The consequences aren't bad. I know God said if we don't kind of obey and kind of do things this way, and, and if we don't kind of walk into what his best is for us, that it's going to get rough and there's consequences. But honestly, I don't think the consequences are going to be that bad. God's bluffing. I mean, it's God. I mean, God gave us this land. God made us a nation. You, you, you think God's going to take us out of this land? Or I mean, come on. I, I mean, I know God. He's, he's a big talker, but I, I don't know if He's really going to do this. And then, in 720 BC, the northern tribes are taken into captivity by Assyria. The southern tribes, still, still there, but not long after that, about a little over a hundred years later, the southern tribes, which is where Nehemiah and his brother is from, they're taken into captivity by Babylon. Jerusalem, the city that they love, is torn apart. It's burned. The temple, that's kind of the center of their whole society, is torn down. The city is, is gone, and they are, they're taken to Babylon. They're taken hundreds of miles away to a foreign land with foreign customs. They're, they're, they're no longer their own bosses. I mean, they, they live somewhere they don't want to be, and it's all because for over a thousand years, God's been saying to them, I love and I have good for you. Just trust and obey me. And they've said no. And so God, after having patience and patience and patience consequences come and now a thousand years over a thousand years after 
God first came to Abraham. These Israelite families are in a foreign land and they're hopeless. They, they probably thought, you know what? We're done. I mean, it, it's, I mean like at the, when, when you are facing consequences, it's pretty easy to see backwards and see things a lot clearer. Like, oh, yeah, we, we blew it. I, if I was God, I'd do this to me too. And so they're looking back and they know what God's told them. And now they're sitting in Babylon and they're hopeless and they're slaves and they're in a foreign land with a foreign language. It's just terrible. But here's how good God is. In the midst of them sitting in this foreign land and they're captive to this nation Babylon, God sends a messenger to them. And Jeremiah, he writes a letter to these people while they're sitting in captivity. And here's what Jeremiah says to them. In Jeremiah chapter 29, 10, they receive this letter while they're in captivity. And he says this, for this is what the Lord says. When 70 years for Babylon are complete, I will attend to you and will confirm my promise concerning you to restore you to this place. God says, you know what? Your unfaithfulness doesn't change my faithfulness. So after 70 years, yeah, you're in captivity. Yep, you're, this is what I told you would happen and it's happening. But you need to know that in 70 years, I'm going to change things. I'm going to help you get back to Jerusalem. And then he says a verse that you have seen on coffee cups, on pillows. It's been on every graduation journal you've ever given a graduate. And it's actually written to people in Babylon. And here's the verse. This is what God said to these people while they're slaves. For I know the plans I have for you. This is the Lord's declaration. Plans for your help, for your well-being, not for disaster. To give you a future and a hope. And a few years later, God did exactly what Jeremiah said he would do in this letter. In 538 B.C., the first wave of Jewish exiles returned to Jerusalem. Their leader was a guy by the name of Zerubbabel. Don't ever name your kid that. He will get made fun of in middle school horribly. But his name was Zerubbabel. Hard to even say. And, and, and he took the, the kind of first wave of Jewish exiles back home to this torn down city, this broken down temple. And, and they, they got back and they started to rebuild this temple. And then in 458 BC, a second wave of Jewish exiles went back under the leadership of a guy by the name of Ezra, which brings us back to Nehemiah and his conversation with his brother. So now Nehemiah, he, he knows all this history. He knows there's been two waves of people that have gone back to Israel. And so he's very interested to see, man, how are things going and he's expecting some good news. And so he asked his brother, hey, how's the city and how is the remnant? How are the people that have gone back? And Nehemiah's brother gives him news he wishes he hadn't gotten. It says this, they said to me, 
the remnant in the province who survived the exile are in great trouble and disgrace. You could use the word shame. And he says this, he says, Jerusalem's wall has been broken down and its gates have been burned. See, for a city in these times, the city wall was the defense system. It's what kept the enemies away. And so Nehemiah's brother, as, as Nehemiah is kind of waiting for good news, man, tell me how things are going with the people that are back in the city. He says, man, it, it is not going good. The, the people are, are facing shame. They're facing great trouble. The walls are broken down. The gates are, are burned with fire. The, this news that he's getting, and maybe you felt this. You've, you, you've maybe been in a position where you went somewhere or you called somebody or you were waiting on some news and, and you expected it to be good. And then you got the news. And not only was it bad, but it was as bad as it could get. It's like the ultimate just gut punch. And as Nehemiah is there talking to his brother, his brother says, man, it's awful. The people are hurting. They're defenseless. It's, it's terrible. And so Nehemiah, he's, what, what's he going to do? He, he's living a good life in a palace, 700 miles from these people. His life is fine. And honestly, if he wanted, he could change the subject pretty quickly and just kind of move on. I mean, doesn't matter what's happening in Jerusalem. That's, that might as well be the moon. And for him, if, if nothing changes, it doesn't affect his life. He's still eating from the king's table. He's still doing well financially. Life is good for him. So he hears this, this news and he has, this, has to have this moment where he decides, like, am I going to step into this? Or am I going to avoid it, change the subject, and move on with my good life? And, and here's what Nehemiah did. It says this in verse 4. When I heard these words. See, Nehemiah, he listened. He listened. He wasn't distracted he, when his brother was talking to him about what was going on, he leaned in to really hear what his brother was saying. See, we, and you know this, whether you're watching online or you're, watch, or you're here this morning, like we live in a world full of noise. And it is very easy not to listen. It's very easy when people have different issues in life and challenges come. It is so easy to maybe hear a little bit with our ears, but really not hear and not listen. And, and, and we do that for a variety of different reasons. But Nehemiah, as his brother is saying this to him, it says he heard these words. He listened. He intentionally leaned in. And then it says this. I sat down. Not only did he listen, but he stopped. He stopped. He sat down. Instead of moving on so he didn't have to think about it, he stopped. He sat down. Instead of changing the subject, instead of scrolling past, which he could have done. 
stopped. He sat down. He listened. And he sat down. And then it says this. And wept, I mourned for a number of days. Not only did he listen, not only did he stop when he could have moved on or scrolled past, but he felt and he was broken. See, Nehemiah would never have to feel the pain of those in Jerusalem if he didn't want to. 700 miles away. That's not my role. It's not my job. It's their deal. My life is good. He, he never had to feel their pain. He never had to think about what they were going through if he didn't want to. Yet he felt it as if he was there. He experienced it as if he, if it, what he was going through. See, Nehemiah, he, he listened. He stopped. He sat down. And he felt he was broken so many times. And man, I do this in my own life because you've been hurt in different parts of your life and you've been hurt over the years. When something hard comes or when bad news comes or when an obstacle comes, there's something inside of us that's tempted to, to put up like a, a, a callus over our heart, to, to put a, a kind of armor around What's inside of us so that, man, we can hear a little bit and feel a little bit, but we really don't feel to the point of brokenness. And we are so good at this. I mean, nowadays, like, you you go online any second, you can, man, there's always a tragedy. There's always something bad. There's a homeless person at every corner. And so what we've kind of trained ourselves to do is to kind of put up the callus over our heart, look past it, and keep moving. Instead of feeling, instead of seeing, instead of listening, instead of stopping. But Nehemiah, he felt and he was broken. And then it says this, to kind of close out verse 4, it says this. Fasting and praying before the God of heavens. See, Nehemiah, he sought clarity from a place of dependence on God. Nehemiah had access, I mean, inner circle access to the most powerful man in the world, in his world. I mean, this man could have anybody killed he wanted. He could spend any amount of money. He had all power. But yet Nehemiah, instead of going right to the king, who he had a probably great relationship with, and like I said, was kind of on the inner circle with him, it says that Nehemiah, he fasted and he prayed before the God of heaven. And this isn't just one of those like, well, that's sad. Let's take 30 seconds and throw a little token prayer out there for them. No, this is four months of fasting, of praying, of fasting, of praying, of being broken because of what he heard, because of what had been experienced by people in Jerusalem. For four months, he fasted and he prayed before the God of heaven. And it wasn't because Nehemiah wasn't a good leader. It wasn't because he wasn't a man of action. In fact, if you, as we read through this book and we read through this story over the next few weeks, you're going to find out that Nehemiah was a man of action. He was an incredible leader. But yet, as a man of action, as a person that was an incredible leader, he could have easily brushed past this. 
he, he could have easily put together a really quick plan, maybe wrote a check, sent it back with his brother, kind of eased his own conscience. But instead, he listened. He was broken. He spent four months pouring his heart out to God and gaining clarity on courageous steps that he could take to make a difference. See, you and I will probably never get the news that Nehemiah got. Like, we're never going to hear, you know, from, no one from Florida is going to call me and be like, dude, the, the walls around Florida, broken down, fire, it's a mess. Like, that, that call is not going to come. You're not going to get a call similar to that either. But, but here's what you will face, just like I will. You're going to face challenging situations with hurting people and hopelessness. We're going to come face to face with hopelessness. We're going to come face to face with hurting people. We're going to come face to face with challenging situations. And we're going to be in a place where we have to make a decision, just like Nehemiah did. That decision is, okay, how am I going to respond to this situation, to this hurt, to this hopelessness? And here's what some of us will do. And I've done all these, unfortunately. Some of us will throw rocks. And here's what I mean by that. Well, we'll say things like, and you might say it more colorfully than this, but if you weren't an idiot, you wouldn't be in that spot. You deserve what you're getting. I'm so surprised how many people that say they're a follower of Jesus that do this a lot. It's ridiculous. Well, yeah, you deserve that. If they would have got their stuff together, if they wouldn't have taken drugs, if they wouldn't have done this... And, and it's like throwing rocks. And that's this, honestly, this is how, this is kind of the go-to for some people. And, and honestly, I've done this. Where I've, I've seen hurt, I've seen pain, I've seen hopelessness, I've seen challenging situation. And instead of being Jesus, I've picked up a rock. Because, man, I wouldn't have put myself in that situation. If you would have done this or that, you wouldn't be in that spot. So that's one of the ways people respond. Another way is people move on. They're just moving on. It's, you know what? I don't want to feel that. I don't want to see that. I don't want to get in that mess. So we come across it. We look away and we just move on like it never happened. Because we don't want to get into it. And I've done this. Just move on. I don't want to feel. I don't want to get in the mess. I don't want to deal with stuff. I don't know how it's going to end. So we move on. Another way we respond is we, we respond by giving up. Oh, it's, it's a hopeless situation. There's no, there's no hope. And, and we just get in the middle of all the people that are just, hey, there's, there's no hope. And we just kind of give up. It's terrible. It's never going to change. And I've done that. Or... There's one way that we could respond kind of the way Nehemiah did, and we could lean in and engage. It means we, we, we're willing to listen, we allow ourselves to feel, and then we humbly seek God for His heart and His plan. And here's what this doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that we end up getting involved in every area or we try to fix everything bad in the world. But what we do is when God brings something into our path, 
instead of moving past it, instead of throwing rocks, we lean in and we ask God, God, how do you want me to engage? You brought this into my path for a reason. That's exactly what Nehemiah did. And you know what? It's exactly what Jesus did. You think about Jesus. I mean, Jesus had the power to heal. He had the power to raise the dead. But here's what Jesus didn't do. He didn't spend his time going to every hospital, healing every person. He didn't spend his time going to every graveyard, raising every dead person. He didn't do that. What he did is when someone came into his path with a spiritual or physical need, he leaned in and engaged. Could he have gone to every hospital? For sure. Could he have raised every dead person? For sure. But he didn't. But when somebody came into his path that was hopeless, that had a spiritual or physical need, Jesus didn't pass by. He didn't go away. He didn't throw rocks. He leaned in and he engaged because he knew he was there to bring hope. So here's my question. What if we did what Jesus did and Nehemiah did? What if we followed that example? What if as Things came into our path, hopeless situations, challenging situations, instead of throwing a rock, instead of moving on, or instead of being hopeless, what if we just said, hey, I'm going to lean in, I'm going to listen, I'm going to stop, I'm going to allow myself to feel, and I'm just going to ask God, God, do you want me to get involved? And if so, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? Like, what if we stopped? What if we listened? What if we felt? What if we sought God's plan? What if he saw us, did that? What if we did? Like, we can't fix everything. We can't help everybody. We're not even called to do that. And we're a mess ourselves. So we need people to help us. But what if as God brought things into our path, we didn't just move on or throw rocks. We leaned in. And engaged. What if all the Jesus followers in Yuba Sutter just did that? What if we did that? I mean, could it be that, that God might want to use you and me in his plan for bringing help and hope to the world? Like, could that be possible? And for that to happen, we, we need God's help. For, for, for me to look at a terrible situation and not move on and not, not listen. Man, I need God's help to, to listen. I need God's help to, to engage when everything inside of me is saying, no, move on. Don't get into the mess. We, we need God's help. And so here's my question. And, and this is uh, kind of a, a bold thing. Would you be willing to pray something with me this week? You say, Chris, I'm not a big prayer. I'm just kind of new to this prayer thing. But, but short prayers, kind of like my daughter's lines in her drama. Not, not long. You don't, have, you don't have to say, it's not a long one. You can actually write these down. They're actually in the notes in your app too, I think. But, but here's, here's what I would encourage you to pray. If, if at least there's something inside of you that says, you know what? I found myself kind of being the, the rock thrower. or the, I just kind of move on so I don't have to feel... Okay, and I'm, I'm open to this, man, leaning in and engaging as God brings things into my path. I'm open to that. Well, here's, here's the first prayer. God, help me to see my city and the people in it the way you do. 
Would you be willing to just pray that this week? God, I live in Yuba City. Some of you live in Plymouth Lake. Some of you live in Marysville. Some of you live in Live Oak, all, all different places. Would you be willing to, because I don't know about you, but I, I can get in the car, go to my little Starbucks, go to my grocery store, do my stuff. I see people say hi, all that stuff, but, but, but I don't really see people the way Jesus does, I'm for sure. Would you be willing to pray this? God, help me to see the people in my city the way that you do. Here's a second prayer. And that, that, that's a, this is a tough one to pray because it's like, oh, maybe I do I really want to see the way Jesus does? But here, here's the second one that may be even a little bit more uncomfortable. God, help my heart to be broken over the things that break your heart. Nobody wants to sign up to have a broken heart. We avoid broken hearts. But what if we honestly, just before God, were, were willing to say, God, would you just this week, as I see my city, as I see the people in my school, as I see the people I work with, Lord, help me to see them the way you see them. I mean, you see them eternally. You see them as, as people that need you. Help me to see them that way, Lord. And then, then the things that break your heart in my city, the things that break your heart in my school, the things that break your heart in my workplace, the things that break your heart in my family, help them to break my heart. Because God, I've, I've gotten to a place, maybe you would say, that, that I, I just don't like to be hurt, so I put calluses on my kind of heart so that I don't have to feel deeply. And, and God, I'm just asking you this week, would you tear away those calluses and really break my heart for the things that break your heart? God, break my heart. And here's what I know. Our discomfort may be the catalyst to someone else's hope. It was for Nehemiah. The brokenness that he felt, the four months of fasting and praying and weeping led to incredible hope for a whole nation. But it was because Nehemiah was willing to lean in and engage when probably there were things inside of him telling him to move on. Let's pray. God, we're thankful for our city. We're thankful for our family. Lord, we're thankful for what you do among us. We're thankful for what you've done in our own life. But God, it's really easy to come to church, give some money, serve on a team, go to a Bible study, even read our Bibles at home. And yet it's, it's, it's sometimes difficult to really engage our community and see them the way you do. And God, we're asking that this week, that you would help us see this city, that you would help us to see these counties, that you would help us to see our neighbors the way you see them. Lord, that we would see past the, just the fakeness that, that everybody puts on, that we would see past the happy social media post, and that we would really begin to see and feel the hopelessness, the lostness, the hurt, 
that's literally all around us every single day. And God, I pray that we would not just see it, but that this week that you would begin to peel away the hardness on our hearts, the callousness on our hearts, and that we would feel and that we would be broken for the things that break your heart. With every head bowed and every eye closed, this week, I've asked you to pray just two simple prayers. And if you're, you're here and you'd say, Chris, I'm a follower of Jesus. Maybe you're watching online. Would you be willing, just in the quietness of this room, every head's bowed, every eye's closed, just, just between you and God. You don't have to commit to me. You don't have to commit to anybody. Just between you and God. But you, would you be willing to take some time this week to just ask God, God, help me to see my city and the people in it, my neighborhood. Help me to see those people the way you see them. And then the second thing, would you be willing to say, God, break my heart. Help me to be broken over the things that break your heart around me. Maybe you're here this morning and you would say, Chris, I don't have a relationship with Jesus. Maybe you're watching online. And, and I'm here to tell you that that breaks God's heart. In fact, it, it breaks God's heart so much that he was willing to give us a solution. God sent his son Jesus to die on the cross to pay for our sin, the thing that separates us from him. And Jesus, after he died on the cross, he was put in a grave. And three days later, he got up out of that grave and he's alive today. And he offers you and I a solution to our broken relationship with God. And if you're here this morning or you're watching online and you'd say, Hey, Chris, I've never taken that step to start a relationship with God. But man, I, I, I would like to do that. How would I do that? Well, just in the quietness of this room or wherever you're watching or listening to this, just between you and God, would you be willing to just right now, just between you and God, just tell God, God, I admit to you that I've sinned. I've disobeyed you. I've done things my way. Just tell him just in your heart. And then just tell him, God, I believe that you sent Jesus to die on the cross to pay for that sin. And I believe he rose from the grave. And then just ask God, God, I want to start a relationship with you. Would you come into my life and transform me today? The scriptures say that, man, when we start a relationship with God, that we become new on the inside. It says, old things pass away. Behold, all things become new. And if you're here this morning or you're watching online and you made a decision to follow Jesus, you started a relationship with God, you can let us know by, if you're watching online, just go to citywalk.cc. There's a decision card there. And if you're here with us this morning, you can go just right in front of you. There's a decision card that you can fill out and just drop it in the offering basket or the next steps table. And we just want to know that you made a decision. We want to rejoice with you. And man, we give you a call this week. Just make sure if you have any questions. But we just want to serve you. 
Lord, I, I pray that you would help us to see our city, our neighborhood, the way you do. And God, I pray that whatever breaks your heart in this city, whatever breaks your heart in this neighborhood, whatever breaks your heart on our streets, I pray that it would break our hearts as well. In Jesus' name, amen.